discipline. Uh, the discipline, the discipline of the Lord specifically, um, you know, and I think that it's 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 almost impossible to read this section about God's discipline and not immediately put ourselves in the example that the author of Hebrews uses in thinking about earthly discipline. Um, and you know, one of our troubles is I think that we can have some wrong ideas about both. We can have some wrong ideas about human and earthly discipline, and we can have some wrong ideas about heavenly discipline. And, you know, I think sometimes who knows which comes from which, right? Well, is, it our, is there a bad idea about heavenly discipline that leads us to uh, a bad idea about earthly? Or is it our own bad behavior as uh, being disciplined or, uh, or disciplining our children, our own failures as, as fathers and mothers? Uh, well, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but I, I think that by understanding what the author of Hebrews is saying here, uh, we can have a better understanding then of earthly discipline, although that is not the main point. He uses earthly discipline as an illustration for the discipline of God. So let's pray, and then let's get right into the, uh, the topic. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that your word uh, instructs us that your word gives us uh, safe borders within which to live, that your word um, corrects us when we go astray. God, thank you that your word uh, is a great tool for us and really the primary tool for us uh, in our discipline as your children. Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we read this text and that you would help us to understand uh, and that you would help us to correctly implement what we learn Um, today and uh, from this point forward. Let it be for your glory and for the building up of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the text. I I put this verse up here um, from the text. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined uh, by their father. Um, Normally, I try to put a main point up here. This is probably not the exact main point of the passage, Um, But it is something that will help us immensely if we understand uh, the discipline that we undergo in this life um, as the loving discipline of a father who is a way better father uh, than any of us have ever experienced and a way better father than any of us will ever be. Um, So let's read the text. Uh, One of the things that I love about Hebrews and that also... um, changes the way that we try to teach it, is that it is really like a sermon. And we talked about that sort of in the beginning when I was, when I was introducing the book. Um, but it really is, it reads like a sermon. Um, because the author explains what he's talking about. Uh, there, are, there are some issues that are hard for us just because of the cultural difference between us and the, the church of this day and the fact that they have a Hebrew bra- uh, background and we don't. Um, but really, for the most part, the whole letter reads like a sermon and reads like one you could sit down and listen to in one setting and and really be encouraged and really be exhorted and be rebuked and grow by. Um, but I think there's also great benefit in examining and then also considering the cultural divide, making sure that we actually understand the words being used. And there is no mistaking that discipline is the primary focus of this passage. So I think it's, um, you know, seven verses, and the word is used eight times, the word discipline. 
So if we have a wrong understanding of what the word discipline means, we're going to misconstrue the entire passage. So um, let's read it together. Let your eye focus on the word discipline. Uh, I said eight times. That's in the original language. It's actually 10 times in the NIV because uh, sometimes in the original language, it'll, it'll, it'll construe discipline, but he'll skip over the verb, right? But it, it doesn't do that in, in English. Uh, the NIV makes it a lot more clear for us by repeating that word. So um, let's, uh, let's go through the text. He says, have you forgotten, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every, everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits? And live. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So, what do you mean by discipline? Right? because I think most often, I mean, how many people in this room, you, can, you don't have to raise your hands, but just think about this. How many times have you heard the word discipline in your life used as a euphemism for spanking or some other type of corporal punishment? Right? That is, when I read this, when I read this the first time, even just you know, when I was thinking through the whole thing and trying to break it up before we even started going through this book together, the word discipline it always comes across primarily in my mind as a euphemism for punishment, for corporal punishment. And I think it's a mistake that it comes into our mind like that. One of the things I found really interesting is that I traced out the meaning both in the Greek and in the English. And, you know, obviously that's the aim of a translator, right? To come across with an English word that in as much as possible communicates the exact same idea to the people who are reading it right? But the problem is, is that because we've used it as a euphemism for corporal punishment so many times, that has become, in our minds, the primary meaning. And let me just tell you, that's wrong. It's included. Corporal punishment is included in this. But it's not the primary meaning. It is a general word, and by general, I mean it encompasses a great many things. And so I highlighted two of these definitions. You'll find a lot more exact definitions if you want to look on Webster's and, and look at the, the etymology of the word. If you want to look in a Greek dictionary and like, look at those, you'll get a, a more full. But it really, it really boils down to these two things. And really the first one is the primary one. It's a word that's used mostly, English and Greek, predominantly in the raising of children the instilling of values, the teaching of values, the training of morals and moral behavior. It is primarily an instructional, and it has 
a purpose. And the purpose is not retributive. It's not punitive in purpose. And that's a key understanding to understanding the discipline of the Lord. Or we're going to see God in the same way that I did when I was a kid, just with a bigger paddle. I I viewed God when I was a child, and I think most of us did, as a divine father with a really big paddle. Or a big leather belt or whatever you got disciplined with as a child. Maybe a switch. Those were the worst. But that's how we view discipline. And I can, I can look around this room and I know that almost every single one of you have the exact same picture of discipline in your mind. And it's just, it's not the primary thing. And it absolutely is not retributive justice. Because none of the aspects of discipline here in this passage is he saying, God is giving you what you got coming to you when you experience discipline, Christian. That's not what he's saying at all. That is not anywhere in these verses. He's not saying anywhere, God got you, smart Alec, you want to go the wrong way, God got you. That's not what he's saying. That'll teach you to disobey. That's not what he's saying. That is not God's attitude toward his children. God's discipline has a purpose of making us like Christ. God's discipline is loving and good. I, I did not fully understand this, realize, this idea of God's loving discipline until, as a Christian and a father, I tried to explain to my kids the purpose for discipline. And I knew, looking into their eyes, I knew that they did not understand why the things that I did in their lives or have done or or still continue to do in their lives, why I'm doing them. Because they only experience the negative feelings associated with it. And it's not just about, again, it's not just about physical punishment, right? The rules that we give to our kids to safeguard them against things that we understand and they do not, right? No, you can't walk over there by yourself at this age. No, you can't watch this thing at your age. No, you can't go to this friend's house and stay there. I don't know their parents. No, you can't. It's a whole lot of rules and a whole lot of limitations that to a child are restrictive. And restrictive means unloving. And if you don't let me do what I want to do, that's unloving, right? Every one of us has experienced that. But training and raising children, you have a good purpose as parents and your parents, most of you, had good purposes in their mind. And so this idea of training and raising children and teaching them good values and instilling good values in them is the primary way we should understand this word discipline. I, one of the, if I can't communicate anything else to you today, please re- reprogram yourself. Consider the heavenly truths that we read in God's word And don't misunderstand his discipline. It does include verbal or physical correction. Because if you're walking towards a pit, you need somebody to reach out and grab you back. 
I mean, how many times when you were a kid, the first time you were sitting in the front seat with your parents, if they had to stop short, they'd throw their arm across you. Like, what are you doing? Get off me. But you're protecting them. And corrective, you know, I think about this with corrective discipline. Better a little bit of physical pain now than the end result of you continuing to do this thing that you want to do. One thing that we must never think of when we're thinking about the discipline of the Lord for believers is is we should never have a picture of hell in our minds. The kind of punishment that happens in hell is retributive justice. Those people who have sinned and not repented and not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, not repented and trusted in Christ, it is retributive justice. They are getting what they deserve from God. No form of correction in this life for the believer is getting fully what you deserve. You are, you are experiencing the mercy of God even if it seems a terrible ordeal. But a sinner is sent to hell for retributive justice, but God disciplines his children that they would be holy. That's what the passage says. The purpose, the ultimate purpose for you is that you would be holy. So what's this all about? This passage, even though it talks about discipline heavily, and that's why I concentrated on a good definition and helping us to understand what is discipline, what is God's discipline? Well, the second thing it's about, and really the primary thing about, which is all about script, all of Scripture is about, is about God. And, and, and we see that over and over in the passage because he's telling you how to understand who God is and what his purposes are in discipline. And in the greater context of, this pass, of, of, of the whole book of Hebrews, right, the, the whole exhortation that he gave us in, in chapter 11 was so that we would remember the faithfulness of God in all the Old Testament saints, and then we would emulate those good things about their character that he highlights for us, and God is testifying about his faithfulness through their lives so that you know you can trust in him, in his faithfulness. And then in the first part of chapter 12, his point was, in this whole race metaphor, was pursue holiness, strive for holiness. And, and you know, the, the holiness that we will have and that we grow in, that sanctification process that we're in as believers, that process is our effort like as we strive for holiness, but the other half of that is God's power in it. And one of the manifestations of God's power in our pursuit of holiness and our achieving holiness in this life, and again, I'm not talking about a perfection, okay? I'm talking about a striving after perfection. But his discipline is another tool which he is using to make us holy, to refine us. You know, the the refiner's fire that Malachi chapter 3 talks about. And when it says that, that when John the Baptist says that Jesus is going to come with the Holy Spirit and fire, he's talking about a refining fire. It's the same point that the author of Hebrews was making back uh, earlier when he said, you know, that, that he, he made the, the author and the perfecter or the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. And so it's fitting that he should do that. He's going to do the same with us. Um. So what's in view here really is the holiness of God. 
And I want you to look at the last verse, because I think this is, uh, I'm sorry, the second to the last verse. Um, in, in, um, in verse 10, he says, you know, they, the human uh, fathers, they disciplined us as they thought best, but God disciplines us for, us, uh, for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, that share is not like sitting down and sharing a piece of pizza together, right? That share is a partaking of and a participation in, like we looked at back in chapter 2 when it talks about Jesus participating in our flesh and blood. He becomes like one of us. He shares in our humanity. And we, in turn, through the gospel, and yes, through the loving discipline of the Lord, we share and will ultimately share in his holiness, as in participate in it, as in the holiness that we have will be properly reflective of his holiness. It will be his holiness that we display. His holiness is in view. Also his goodness. And by his goodness, there's all sorts of aspects of God's goodness, but specifically in this passage is God's good desires for humanity. Malice is the opposite of that, right? Malice is when you desire bad for other people. When you have a malicious intent, you intend to do something evil. And malice is something that we see reflected in our own life sometimes. We don't just want good for ourselves But anybody who kind of crosses our paths, we want malice for them. That is not God's disposition toward us. And when we think of, and this is probably one of the reasons we think of discipline as harsh uh, or as, 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 as bad, as punishment, as retributive, is because we don't like the way it feels. But God, in his goodness, knows what's right for us, intends what's right for us, and carries it out in our lives, whatever it takes. How many times have you prayed, whatever it takes, Lord, in desperation against sin? Well, God is doing whatever it takes in your life. And it is a sign and an outworking of his goodness. And the goodness is meant to bring us into holiness. God desiring good for you is that you would be like his son, Jesus, whatever it takes. Whatever kind of discipline he has to undergo, or sorry, we have to undergo at his hand. Even if we look up at him and are in the midst of our suffering and we're like, why? I don't understand. But it's his goodness toward us. Thirdly, his paternal love. And I cannot make this point enough, and I think the author of Hebrews is absolutely intentional in this. God is treating you as his kids. And so I know that all of you adults in here have disciplined children. And everybody in here has experienced the discipline of a parent or an authority figure in your life. Sometimes grandma. And it never feels good. And at the same time, you know that your parent or grandparent loves you when they discipline you. And hopefully, if you grew up in a Christian home, your parents explained to you why they disciplined you. What's funny to me 
is that even though we understand this, and he says, you know, we all had, I believe that he reminds us about our earthly fathers because it's so easy to forget. And again, you don't have to raise your hands, but I just want you to think for a second, how many times have you experienced discipline from God and your first inclination is to, go, is to say, what did I do? What did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? Or to look around hopelessly and go, oh, I must have done this or that. This must be punishment for this. I had a bad attitude and now I'm still paying for it, right? That's the, one of the first inclinations. Or once you get through that and you're like, well, I've run through the list of all the ordinary sins. I don't know what that is. So then you look up at God and you're like, so why? What's the deal? What are you doing to me? Why are those of our first two inclinations? I'm just going to tell you it's sin. It's our sinful self rejecting, neglecting, despising the discipline of the Lord. And it's our sinful minds that have been contaminated by sin so as to think of all negativity as retributive justice. And that's simply not true. This passage teaches us and displays for us the holiness of God, His goodness towards us in discipline, His paternal love for us, the way He treats us as His kids. And that is something that we need to focus on. The truth that's communicated here about God is what we need to focus on so that we can actually put into practice the exhortation. Because if you don't have in mind that God is a holy God and he's ordained your life no matter what, that you're going to be holy, that you're going to positionally we're holy because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. But in this life, we are growing in sanctification. And one day we will bear a glory that is like God's glory in its holiness. We won't be gods. We won't have all this high power of deity and all these things. We're not going to be omnipresent and all those other things that are exclusive to God, but we will reflect perfectly all of God's communicable glory that he intended humanity to show. All the ways in which God intended for his greatness, his excellence to be visible, his loving concern for, for, for those under his care, all of that we will perfectly display for those of us who endure. If we miss God's intention and God's attitude toward us in this, we cannot possibly carry out the exhortations that he calls us to. Because otherwise we have this attitude of, I have to do this to make God happy with me. And if I don't, he's going to be upset with me. He's going to be angry with me. And he might just throw me out of his family. And that's a wrong attitude about God. It's a wrong attitude about salvation. So how are we supposed to respond? Well, let's look at the exhortations of the passage, right? Um, <clears throat> so he, he quotes, and for those of you who have, um, you know, these footnotes in the bottom, you'll see that this comes from Proverbs um, 3, 11 and 12. And, you know, I'm going to look back and read just Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, uh, partly because um, what... Uh, the author is quoting from the Septuagint, so the wording is just a little bit different. Um, but uh, So I'd like to read it, the original, uh, or at least the, the one that comes through from the Hebrew. But I want, you to, I want to call your attention to the idea of Proverbs anyway, um, and I'm going to read the, for a little bit from chapter 1 first. 
So it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. In the earthly sense, the Proverbs are written to sons. Right? To don't forget the wise teaching of your parents. And if that exhortation to earthly sons to not neglect and turn away from the wise teaching of your, your earthly parents, if that's good and right for you in the Lord, and it absolutely is, then, then for our Heavenly Father, when it comes to remembering His Word and the things that He has said, Romans 15, 4, everything that's been written down has been written down for our teaching. And guess what? The word there is discipline. For our instruction that we would grow in holiness. Everything that's been written has been written for our benefit in that way. And then when you look at Proverbs 3, um, and really just so many places in Proverbs, you'll know this if you've spent any time in Proverbs, it's, all, it's nearly always written to a son and reminding him to listen to his father. And you can't read that over and over and over again and neglect the fact that God is treating us as his children. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And I can't read the father, the son he delights in without thinking about the voice from heaven when Jesus comes up out of the water and he said, this is my beloved son. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased. I also can't miss the negative connotation of, you know, in, 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 in uh, NIV, and I'm not a translator, I don't know ancient languages, so I can't really help with what should be the proper but I do think that the tone of the proverb uh, here in the original Hebrew or translated from the original Hebrew helps us to understand what it means to think little of. To think little of, we can sometimes miss the edge of that, the sharp point, the cutting point. But what he says here is despise. Despising is a form of hatred that is looking down on, similar to contempt. So what he's saying here is actually pretty strong. He's not saying just, well, don't, you know, miss the finer points of God's discipline. He's not just saying that. He's saying don't hate it. When God is disciplining you, don't hate it and buck against it. Don't be like Saul when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and he says, why are you kicking against the goats? Don't be like that with the Lord's discipline. When God disciplines you, don't become bitter. Don't become angry and don't hate the discipline that he gives you. Yes, it's uncomfortable. And the author of Hebrews acknowledges this. No discipline is pleasant at the time. But don't despise it. Don't hate it. Don't show contempt for it. 
Don't neglect it. Understand that when discipline comes into your life, that discipline from God is probably one of three things. He's actively teaching you something and training you in how to do it. Two, he's correcting a bad behavior or a bad attitude of yours. And he's trying to turn you from disobedience to obedience. Three, he's establishing limits in your life which protect you, either from harm or from sin. I know that we all do this with our kids. I know that wasn't part of the original definition of discipline that I put up there, but I think that God's borders and our safeguards in our lives. Some of us have less borders in our lives than others, whether because it's economical or financial or emotional or whatever the case may be, sometimes physical. But God has given us these borders for our good. They protect us from sin and they protect us from harm. Don't neglect his discipline. Anytime you're feeling the discipline of the Lord in hard circumstances, ask yourself and ask the Lord these questions. The question why is not a problem, but your attitude and why can be a problem. Lord, I don't understand. Help me to understand this. I I see this is negative. I know you're sovereign. I know you're a loving father. I know you're making me more like Jesus. But I don't understand. Help me to understand. But why and throwing your hands up and stomping off is, is, is is a rejection of God's discipline. It's complaining. It's not the right attitude of, of the question why. It's not the right motivation there to have, right? Don't neglect his discipline. He has a purpose in it for you. And although you may not fully understand in any trial exactly what God's purpose is, as far as the, the minute purpose, the, the distinct purpose, the particular bad behavior, or the particular thing he's teaching you, you may not understand that aspect of it, but you should keep in the mind the big picture that he's making you like Jesus. And that is your highest good. And it will be your highest pleasure forever in heaven to be like Jesus. Don't be discouraged. And I I think this discouragement is not just like, oh, this feels bad because it's hard. But it's the kind of discouragement that leads you to walk away. Right? The overall point in Hebrews that he's trying to make here in every passage is keep going, endure. And that's the next point, keep going. But an attitude of discouragement will make you not listen. How many times did you get disciplined by your parents and you didn't, you just gave up? You're like, I feel defeated. I'm overwhelmed. I am tired of being disciplined. I don't like it. I'm not listening to this person anymore. Um, I think all of us as young men have experienced it. Young men under their fathers. And all of us have come to the point where we're like, And I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago like this, where he said, you know, my dad's just out of touch. He doesn't know how things work. He doesn't understand how the world is today. He doesn't know what I know. He doesn't understand the world like I understand it. And I just sort of laughed and smiled to myself because, like, I remember thinking that about my dad. And then a few years later going, man, I was a fool. Don't be discouraged. 
And just as a side note, um, a question, uh, something that we all learn, a side note for young men who will be fathers soon enough, kids need encouragement. They need to know that you love them. They need to know the purposes for which you're disciplining them. Just as much as we need to understand the purpose for which God is disciplining us. So make sure you communicate that when you discipline. Make that an active part of your discipline process. Because otherwise, what you will find yourself doing as a father is you'll find yourself enacting retributive justice. And you will discourage and overwhelm your children. And they will think there's no hope. And they'll be discouraged in a defeatist sort of way. Yes, they're sinners, and they, you know, they, but don't contribute to it. Don't provoke them. Don't overwhelm them. The way we avoid discouragement is when we are feeling bad because of our, our trial we're going through, our suffering that we're experiencing, is go back to who God is. That's why I wanted to start with that. God's holiness that he's making me share in. God's goodness, he wants good for me as his child. And that leads us into three, God thinks of me as his child because of Jesus Christ. And don't give up. You know, I'm 44, going to be 45 this year. Um, Some of you are older than me and have plenty of time left. Many of you are younger than me and have a lot of life left to live. Don't look at that long road and, and let discouragement or frustration or any of that overwhelm you and don't give up. You know, positionally, if you are in Christ, you're in Christ and you'll be held fast. But the trouble is, is that many times, you know, we're in a group of people and we don't know who positionally is right with God. We know what people say, but many times, you know, and I know you guys have all experienced this, you've seen people walk away. I don't believe that the author of Hebrews is singling out in his mind, the human author, specific people who have given up. I'm saying that he is warning a group, a whole group, and saying, please don't give up. I know other people have. I know it's hard. But remember who God is and what his purposes are for you. And don't give up. And don't forget the purpose of his discipline. Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That peace is something that we increase in. Now, Again, I want to draw your attention. This is an individual thing. I'm not going to give a list or anything and try to you know, hit on what your own individual thing you might be thinking of is right now. Right? Because I, I know that as I was reading this this week and really you know, trying to plan out the points and all those things, I was thinking about God's discipline in my life and the particular ways that God has disciplined me and is disciplining me now and what are the root causes of that and what is God maybe trying to do in me through that And why is it that I don't like it? And I had to keep coming back to this point. That God has a loving purpose in the discipline in my life. He's making me more like Jesus. I had to remember that just like earthly discipline 
And just like my kids probably don't understand my discipline in most situations, I don't get it right now. It's not pleasant right now. But it has a purpose, and he's producing righteousness in me. And again, this is another area where you can look back over your life and you can say, I can see what God has done in me. I can see the behaviors that are no longer in my life because God has disciplined them out of me. And I can tell you the increase in peace that I have, especially when I talk to somebody younger who is suffering under that sin struggle. And I can say, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is peace for you. You may never fully get away from the the attitudes that undergird that physical sin, but you can overcome this sin through Christ who strengthens you because God has purposed that you would. And the peace that comes from that, I know that you guys have experienced peace when God has eradicated a sin in your life. I know you've experienced the peace and the joy and the tears and the gratitude. So understand that in that discipline, even if you don't know what the purpose of it is in that moment, and though you may not know in this life, remember those moments of peace. Remember the righteousness that he has already produced in you. And keep your eyes on that picture of perfect holiness that you're going to share in. Because God is disciplining you. Whatever kind of discipline you're experiencing. Whether it is corrective because there's sin in your life. And you're, you're seeing the consequences of that sin. And you're paying for it. It's not retributive justice. The end of that is not hell. That's not just a preview for hell. You are going to be holy, and God is making you holy through that process. He's teaching you. He's correcting you. He's restraining you from evil and harm. Both evil from your own life and evil from others. God is putting protective fences around your life so that you will share in his holiness. I wanted to leave you this with 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in themselves Uh, in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. Friends, if God is disciplining you and you can identify it and you can feel it, remember that he is treating you as his beloved children. And the purpose in that is that you would share in, participate in, partake of, be in fellowship with him in his holiness and praise him for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the loving discipline that is in our lives. Thank you for the loving discipline that is in my life right now. Thank you for the loving discipline that's in in the lives of each of the members of this congregation. God, we, probably most of us, don't understand the specific purposes for the specific things that we're suffering. Or for those of us who've just come out of something, we don't understand, even even coming out of it sometimes, what the particular reason is. But we do know the big reason. 
The big reason is that we are going to share in your holiness and you're moving us from the ways that sin and our own sinful rebellion had contaminated our lives to where we did not reflect your holiness and instead reflected depravity. You are transforming us day by day, trial by trial, discipline by discipline, even sometimes with, with scourge, with scourges, with whips, with harsh correction so that we will share in your holiness. God, thank you for thinking so much of us, for loving us so much that you would treat us as your children, that you would call us your children, and that you will perfectly make us your children in holiness on that final day. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the ways in which we praise God is in song. Let's praise him together.